Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. Hey, everyone. Emily O'Meer, a positioning consultant for cloud native startups, is here with us today to talk about some of her approaches that she takes with cloud native startups and what founders of these open source startups should be thinking about. Emily is a consultant, as I was just saying, and she's also a contributor to the new stack where she writes about open source and cloud native businesses. Emily, great to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. So Emily, what did you see as this need and what are you finding with people out there? And then I want to get to, then I want to go direct into this presentation you developed. What is the what are the challenges that these founders face that you're finding is pretty resonant? So what I found is a, a lot of founders, and I'm actually going to go ahead and lump together founders and open source maintainers. Okay. Uh, they're different, but uh, often the people that I work with are sort of both because um, there's a, an open source component to their business. And the challenge that, that I'm going to be talking about today is actually uh, applicable, like whether or not your open source project is trying to, has any commercial aspirations. The, and this pain, I think, actually manifests itself uh, in, in two ways. So first of all, founders feel like they struggle to get people to understand um, what this, what their baby is all about, what the thing that they've created uh, is going to do for people. And that's true of the founders. It's also true um, of, of maintainers, you know, anyone from just like a, a hobby project with an, uh, that's, that's, you know, doing an open source project in their spare time to someone who's maintaining sort of a, a more major project or who has a, a commercial aspirations their project um there's a sort of common thread of feeling like they're really struggling to communicate um what exactly the project is and and who it's for um and then i mentioned there's kind of two two sides to this coin um, the other thing is that i hear from a lot of people who use open source that they encounter a lot of projects that they don't understand and that manifests itself as like them spending two hours um, playing around with a project only to discover it, it, it doesn't work the way that they thought it was. And so it's not going to be usable. And so they've wasted two hours. Ah, so this is a way for them to communicate better and just to help them be more efficient with their users, providing a better experience. Those are some of the main messages I hear from what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and as I'll, as I'll talk about, I think part of it is like sort of being a respectful open source citizen uh, that, you know, you want to be respectful of everyone's time, that both the people who are ultimately going to become users of your project and then everybody else too, because, you know, just because someone isn't really a, a good user for your project doesn't mean that you should waste hours of their time. You should tell them right away that this project isn't going to work for them and so they can go away and find the project that does. Excellent. Well, let's get right into the presentation. All right. So yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, how to talk about your open source project so people get it. And uh, I should say, so people get it immediately. Most people actually have encountered an open source software that 
they just didn't understand that the, there's a website or a readme and they read it and um, had just not really any idea or almost worse, sort of a foggy idea about what this project was. And it was really unclear if it would work or not for the use case that, that they were they were looking for a solution for. And uh, it, most people find this really frustrating. And, you know, I always tell people like you, you don't want to be that maintainer. Um, who's the has a project that people just don't understand. Like I said, you know, it matters that that you make sense. It matters what words you use to describe your project, um, both out of respect just for the community, but it also matters because, you know, ultimately people want to build a, a vibrant, sustainable community uh, around a project. That's kind of the whole point of open source. And in order to do that, you need to make sure that you're attracting the right kind of users uh, who are going to be using your project in, in sort of the best possible way, getting the most out of it. And if you're unclear uh, about what your project does or, or who should be using your project, uh, that is going to lead you to attract people for whom it doesn't actually really fit. And then that in turn is going to sort of skew uh, what sort of like suggestions you are getting, what sort of feedback, and it, it can sort of end up just making the community feel like it's it's falling apart, like you're not all going in, in the same direction. What you really want is a community of people that are that are trying to go the same place, they're trying to achieve the same thing. And in order for you to build that, you have to clearly communicate where it is that you're trying to go, what type of person. Oh, go ahead, can, sorry. Can you give me an example of that? You don't have to name a specific project, but just an example of how you've seen that materialize? I'm going to give a, uh, an example of a project that could be attracting like vastly different users mm. and why it matters that you kind of decide which one you're, you're ultimately for. Um, so this project uh, was a, or is a, a mocking library. So it allowed front-end developers to basically do their work without depending on the, having a working backend. And um, was envisioned as something for developers. And uh, what they discovered was that there was this contingent of users who actually were sales teams, like SaaS sales teams, who would use the mocking library because it allowed them to uh, like input data. And, it, and instead of having to like do a demo that had just like total dummy data, they could go to do a demo input their customer's data and have it like show up still in sort of a dummy sense, um, but it would still be able to show their customer's data like actually in their interface. So these these are super different audiences, right? One, one you have salespeople, the other you have front-end developers. Both were getting value out of this uh, project and uh, the maintainers had to decide like, well, who, who are we really for? Um, if we have too many of one, then, you know, we're, it's going to end up sort of diluting our, our sense of purpose. And it doesn't mean that you have to like tell people to go away if, if they're using it as in a way that you don't envision. Um, but it is something to be like very aware of. And um, in, in this case, you know, the, the maintainers like evaluated, hey, should we maybe pivot to, to being a project that's product is for, for SaaS salespeople and, um, they decided against it. Um, uh, but that's, that's an example of how, um, you know, you can end up having this like 
super heterogeneous community of people with vastly different goals if you're not like thinking about it. Mm, okay. That's a great example. Thank you. Usually if you have this problem, you know that you have this problem. I, I actually talked with a company recently, a company that has an open source uh, project that's that's part of their their suite of offerings. And I asked them, like, you know, how, what what makes you think that that you have a problem with um, people understanding your project? And they were like, oh, well, our users have told us um, we get emails and, and they, they they tell us our, our messaging is terrible. And it's like, oh, OK, so. Um, that really happens. I mean, especially in an open source scenario, right? Where there's like a, it's two way street of communication. Y you probably know, uh, like people will probably tell you, uh, but some other like warning signs that there's a problem is uh, if you feel like, you know, you just get blank stares when you talk about your project, uh, you know, with somebody who should get it with somebody who's in your target audience, the type of person who you think should should understand uh, if you're like having a conversation or that and they're just not getting it or you do a talk at a meetup and pe people just don't get it um, going along with that is if you get weird questions right on the one hand there's no stupid questions on the other hand when a question sort of seems stupid or it seems like tangential um, that's a sign right that that you have a problem the person who has asked the question not that the questioner has has a problem just a sign that, that the questioner is has understand something incorrectly or understood something incorrectly. And then last, you know, when when it's compared to other things, when people ask you questions like, you know, does this compete with X or is it complementary to X? Uh, if those questions are making sense, that's great. Uh, if they don't make sense or people seem to compare you to things that are like way off base, that's a sign that you're not communicating correctly. So what do you do if you feel like, if, if you see yourself in that description? Now, there's really four steps that I think of. Um, so first of all, the, the first step is always you want to know who you're talking to. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, how to determine if you're not sure who, who you were talking to. But that's really key because uh, who you're talking to, is everything hinges on, on who you're talking to. The, the next is you want to be specific. Uh, this is a mistake that I see a lot where people like they use buzzwords, they talk in generalities, and it ends up just kind of being meaningless. Lastly, or sorry, not quite lastly, uh, you want to use terms that people already understand. So if you're mashing together a bunch of buzzwords and uh, not in a way that people are used to, they're not going to understand what you mean. And the goal actually isn't to be really creative. Uh, the goal when you're talking about your project is for people to get it. So don't be too creative. Last, uh, you want to focus on outcomes. And I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more, but it's not as much how you do it. It's what you do that people really care about. They start to care about the how after they figure out what, what the outcome is that you do. Do you find people try to be fancy schmancy and use, you know, language that can be flowery or lots of adjectives, or is it more like they try to just be too complex in how they're describing the project? Uh, it kind of depends. I, I'd say both of those are, are anti-patterns. The, the biggest one for me is buzzwords. There's a lot of buzzwords like, or, you know, something like enabling the digital transformation, the enterprise digital transformation, I feel like I've seen that 
it, that I, I hope I haven't, but I feel like that's out there. That's um, like a dark and stormy night. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I have, there's certain words that I have sort of a bone to pick with. Like I hate the word security or oh, secure. you do. I, well, it's just, it's so broad, you know, it's like, so I secure your environment or something, you know, do you like, did you, do you lock the door to my data center? Uh, Cause that's part of security or, you know, do you help me do the forensic after I've been hacked? That's part of security. So anyway, I, I think that just the, the security in industry as a whole um, could use more specificity. Well, that's true, isn't it? Of, uh, you know, topics that get so much attention that people start relying on language that is used over and over and over again. And that are so complex. And ultimately, you know, security is the goal. So, you know, when I say focus on outcomes, like security is the goal, but you do have to be specific about what you mean uh, Mm -hmm. when you say security, because nobody believes you when you, when I say like, this is the, this is the holy grail. What other words do you not like? Then I'll share one or two of mine. Anything with transformation. (laughs) Um, Cloud transformation was another one that came to mind. Oh God. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear content. I've never liked the word content. Interesting. Yeah. Or, uh, one from my prior days as a news reporter facility, I just thought that's one of the worst words ever. <laughs> oh, if we're just, if we're just, if we're not talking about like descriptions, <laughs> I would say utilize is probably my, utilize is pretty my, bad my least, yeah. my least yeah, favorite yeah, word. Yeah. I, I don't see that a lot in the in like describing an open source project. But uh, yeah, sometimes I think that's part of people's tendency to try to make their, make themselves sound fancy. Cloud is right up there too. Yeah, I I agree. I I think cloud is, it's, it's overused and it can be, um, it fails the specificity test in a lot of cases. It certainly (laughs) does. All right. So why uh, do you need to know who you're talking to? Because ultimately, everything depends on who you're talking to. So you need to know what pain they're experiencing. You need to know what outcome they they expect. You need to know what other technology they're using. And are you compatible with it or are you not? And uh, you need to have some sort of understanding of the constraints that, that they work with. Constraints can be like constraints in terms of what skills they have. It can be constraints in terms of the the business that they're working for that they, they have to keep in mind. It can be technical constraints, could be budgetary constraints, all sorts of constraints that, that, that we can work within. And then uh, I think this is also really important. You know, what are the characteristics of the application? And um, that's pr- important when we're talking about uh, things, the technology that's used by developers to create applications or to create software, because you, you want to think sort of as close to the use case as possible when you're defining wh- who it is you're talking to and characteristics of, of the application they're working on and what they're trying to experience. Is, is pretty high up there. The other key, especially in an open source context, like you want to know what is the thing that made them think today is the day, right now is the time when I need to go and find a, a project that I could download to accomplish whatever it is. Like what was the trigger that caused them mm-hmm. to stop doing whatever they were doing and go search for this solution? Getting that person to start using the project is, I would expect one of the most critical aspects of 
building an open source project. That's what you're trying to do. You want people to to use it. So what do you so what do you find? So um, that's actually a really interesting question because um, it leads me to want to talk about a dirty word um, in open source, and that's marketing. So yes, it is important to. I'm going to use a bunch of euphemisms to talk about marketing to talk about your project. When you talk about your project, you are marketing it. And if you do not talk about it, nobody will discover that it exists or very few will. So there's lots of things that you you can do to, to market an open source project. Uh, what you do depends on, you know, whether you're just some person working in their spare time or you're, you know, backed by a Fortune 100 company or if you have a you know commercial interest in making this project a success. So there, there's all sorts of things to that determine what exactly you're doing. But yeah, you have to talk about it. And that's the whole point. Like you want to make sure that whatever you're talking about is is landing uh, appropriately, that people are are understanding what you're what you're talking about. And um yeah, if if you don't talk about your project, like it's just not gonna go anywhere. There's, you know, there's like 8 million open source projects on GitHub, I think. So yeah, I mean, and there's probably like the, the other thing, again, it is in your, the interest, not just of you, of the, as the maintainer that created this project, you are doing a service to the community, uh, assuming your project is not crap by talking a bit, you are helping somebody. That's like the whole point, right? Is you've created something that people can use to do something that they want to do. So you are helping other people by helping them discover that your projects exist. But you want to make that discovery process as easy as possible for them. Yeah, I imagine that it's really a dilemma for uh, engineers who are maintainers. What do they say about it? What are you hearing from them about that process of getting their projects known? Honestly, um, as much as we like to, you know, ascribe stereotypes to engineers, like they're all different. So, some, some really struggle with it. Um, yeah. Often those are the people that, you know, honestly, often people are self-aware enough to know that they, they hate talking about the project. They, they hate being a public face yeah. of anything. Yeah. Usually those people are self-aware about it um, and they'll work with somebody who's, who's better at that. You know, certainly there's probably a certain amount of self-selection going on, right? The the projects that we end up hearing about for whatever reason are probably not going to have been created by people who were just so painfully unable to promote it that it never went anywhere. So how do you prioritize for them? I, I must depend, I mean, you know, on, on the client, but what are some of the processes that even a uh open source maintainer can go through just to get them started and covering the basics. It seems like you've covered it here, but. Oh, we're not quite done yet. So yeah, um, be specific. I'm going to have a couple of examples in a minute, but uh, when you talk about pain points, which hopefully you have like figured out and articulated based on your, your target audience, you want to be specific. And th this is a sort of a, a failure that I see very often where, where people are far too general. Once you've figured out, you know, who you're talking to, who your audience is, you want to also be specific in articulating who they are, because you want to have that uh, as part of your description of the project, as, as something that's on the website, so that it is very clear for somebody to 
come onto the website, say, oh yes, I fit the characteristics of a, of a person who this is good for, or conversely, oh no, that is not me, I will go elsewhere. So here's what I mean um, when we say specific. These are some real life examples that I have seen. So this is an example of why, why it's important to be specific when we say something like revolutionize data storage or, you know, our project is going to revolution, re revolutionize your data storage. A, data storage in and of itself is, is not super meaningful because there's so many types. Revolutionize also too general. I, I have no idea what you, what you mean. And also the, the other problem with this, right, is that data storage, people tend to be fairly conservative about. It's not something people want to revolutionize. They just want it to sit there and work. So in this particular case, what they actually did was they increased the speed of containerized applications that were IO bound. So that is a result people don't necessarily attribute to data storage, uh, but that is A, an outcome. B, it's very specific. You understand exactly what it is that this, this um, product is doing and what type of applications it is appropriate for. If it's not IO bound, we will do. We will not increase your speed at all. But if it is, then we will we'll help you. And then the second example about security, my pet peeve: uh, secure your cloud environment. Totally meaningless phrase that I see around quite a lot. And then here's an example of how you could have something very specific uh, that is going to have that same sort of result. Right? This is going to make your cloud environment, so to speak, more secure. Um, so that's mitigate risk from a software supply chain vulnerability. Uh, now we know exactly what type of security we're going to address for PCI compliant workloads. That's, you know, what are the characteristics of the workload or application running in AWS? Okay, that's even more specific. So now we know specifically what this product or project is going to do. Not using well-understood terminology is a, a very common problem. And the rationale that I hear behind this is um, our project is so amazing. It is so innovative. There is nothing like it out there. Uh, we've done something that has never been done before. And therefore, we must call it something that nobody understands. That's false. So even if there's nothing exactly like your project out there, and in fact, I hope there isn't, because why did you make this project if the exact thing already exists? There's still some way to describe it that people will understand uh, using using terminology that people understand. So it's not the not the time for poetry. Um, it's really the the time to just make sure that you're describing your project in a way that makes sense and your target market is is going to understand. In an, in an effort to uh, tie a product to CI, CD, um, I spoke with a company that was calling it continuous operations, uh, which didn't make sense. And in fact, um, everybody knew, the founders knew that it didn't really make sense, um, but they couldn't really figure out how to talk about it in a way that did. So they ended up talking instead about cloud native application management framework. This is actually one of the strategies that I think is really successful, especially when we're talking about cloud native, is that often there is a, a corollary in legacy architectures or legacy tools. And all you have to do is slap cloud native onto the, onto the front and boom, uh, you have a thing that doesn't exist anywhere else. So in this case, they sort of de determined that 
um, what their product was doing was like an application management framework, but it, because it behaved in a cloud native way, it was sort of fundamentally different. And that's, that's how they slapped this label on, onto their product. Another one is the company that was calling its product pre-production application health monitoring, which didn't really make sense, uh, I think, even to them. And then changed that to a change validation platform which again, people know what change validation is. So it makes sense. Even if there's no other change validation platform out there, as long as people understand what change validation is, that, that makes sense. On the other hand, I think for a lot of people, the idea of pre-production application health or pre-production monitoring was sort of like this cognitive dissonance. Next, I, I wanted to talk about outcomes. Outcomes are really important. Because even if it's an open source project, and even if you have a technical product, and, and even if you know developers might want to look under the hood and see how it works, they don't want to look under the hood first, right? First, they want to see uh, what the car does. They will not get interested in how you've solved the technical problems until they know what problem it is that you solve. Here's some examples of, of outcomes. You know, An outcome would be, you'll never have to write another YAML script. An outcome could be you'll speed up iteration on your ML applications, but don't focus on just the features of your product and definitely don't focus on like some of the technical choices that you've made under the hood. Focus on why this project matters and how it makes the user's life easier. That makes sense. And then people will dive in and once they love it, that's when they start looking under the hood. So what do you do if you don't know where to start? Uh, if you don't know that first step of, of knowing who it is that you're supposed to be talking to. So I'm making an assumption here. The assumption is that you have some users. Uh, if you have some users, uh, then you want to figure out uh, who are the most enthusiastic. Another way to think about this is who are the users that you wish you could clone, that you wish you had like a hundred of. And chances are there are some users that like having a hundred of would be a nightmare, right? You don't want to think about those people. You don't want to take their opinions into account at all. But um, think about the, the, the awesome true believers and then sort of think about the characteristics that they share. And you want to think pretty broadly. I think one of the biggest mistakes that uh, companies make or maintainers, founders, is assuming that like industry vertical is a really important characteristic. And it can be in some situations, uh, but it is not always. So uh, make sure that you're zeroing in on characteristics that are relevant to whatever project or product uh, it is that, that you have. And then you want to make sure to talk to your true believers because especially in an open source context, like you won't necessarily know uh, what they love about your project. You won't know what the trigger was that caused them to start looking on GitHub for, for something unless you ask them. So you have to ask them, especially because you know, just making an assumption without actually asking uh, can really lead you to sort of the wrong conclusion about why your project is so valuable. So um, as you talk to your, your true believers, uh, you want to figure out ba based on what they're saying, what value they're getting out of your project in what pain points you're solving. And then you want to use their own words as a starting point to brainstorm a fairly short description of your project. Cause that's, that's the, 
the starting point is the, like a five to eight word description of your project. I think of it as like slapping a label on your project. If you're going to slap a label on it, what is that label going to be? Uh, you want mm. it to be descriptive and you want it to be accurate. You don't have to like, don't take your, your user's words like as the, the absolute gospel that you have to follow, but you do want to use it as a starting point to, to figure out, um, you know, how they would describe your project to somebody else. Uh, it's can be really instructive. Now I'm going to talk about now what you have to spread the word. Uh, that's a euphemism for marketing. So basically this comes down to actually updating your readme. Uh, that's the most basic update your readme. Uh, there's a section on most readmes that's uh, basically some people call it the mission statement uh, basically says like what is this project and who is it for what does it do um, that's what you up want to update first and anywhere that you have a description of the project uh, you want to update that and i mean honestly like i'm, I'm really thinking like uh, in any list of open source projects it's going to say like x is a blah 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 right you want to control what that blah 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 is uh, you want to update your website because if you think of your website as sort of like an expanded uh, mission statement about what your what your project is all about. And then um, you want to build an outreach strategy. Outreach strategy is another euphemism for marketing. And um, you want to focus on uh, where your your audience, where the people that would get the most value out of your project actually are. And those are going to be people that share characteristics with your most enthusiastic users. There's a lot to do for a open source project and those maintainers. I think that this is why a lot of maintainers like to work with other co-maintainers. Mm. It is a lot to do, honestly, because you have, you know, you have to create something and then you have to worry about spreading the word, uh, which is also work or, you know, maybe it's mm -hmm. fun, but it is activities that have to be done. And uh, it's a lot. Um, I mean, you know, especially if, if it's just a, a passion project, but even if we're talking about something that's backed by a company in some way, shape or form, I mean, we're talking about like, you know, a job, a, a full-time job basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's work. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to uh, tell us a little bit about the challenges that cloud native startups face with their projects and some, some tips for them. And, and we'll provide a link back to your website in the story that we do, but maybe just as a reminder, just let people know how they can get in touch. Yeah. So my podcast is Cloud Native Startup. Um, feel free to check that out. And then I'm just Emily at emilyomier.com. And you can search for me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter, although I am not particularly active. And yeah, that's the best way to get in touch. Great. Well, thanks, Emily. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast to listen to more episodes on the new stack makers. Create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more articles and great stories, go to the newstack.io.